Today, we are covering non-disclosure agreements. I feel like that's all I talk about. What is an NDA? It, it can stretch pretty far. Let's get to the meat of an NDA. Is it really confidential? It all depends on the scenario, too. I'm telling you this in confidence. This one's a little bit tricky. Sound Smart Business, where your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stomp, cover business in the news and add their awesome legal twist. Legally Sound Smart Business is a podcast brought to you by Pasha Law PC, a law firm representing your business in California, Illinois, New York, and Texas. Here are your hosts, Nasser Pasha and Matt Stobb. All right, welcome to our podcast. Today we are covering non disclosure agreements probably the most favorite topic of all uh, business owners. I don't I, I can't run into anyone that is in business and they don't want to just sit down and talk about non-disclosure agreements. Don't you agree, Matt? Yeah. It's all, I feel like that's all I talk about with with our clients is non-disclosure agreements. But yeah, if you're if you're a business owner, I, I mean you've pre- depending on the line of work and how long you've been doing business, you've You've at least encountered some, possibly hundreds, uh, just depending on yeah, literally again, what you're. Yeah, yeah. No, we've. I can't even keep track of how many you and I have probably reviewed, but it's it's at least a few hundred at a minimum. Uh, yeah, at, at minimum, and non-disclosure agreements. They're also known as NDAs. They're sometimes called confidentiality agreements. Sometimes. Uh, NDA, you know, NDAs include the word agreement in there, um, but sometimes contracts have confidentiality provisions that are somewhat applicable. But hey, you know, this is not the, you know, this is kind of a very narrow topic. So we are going to make it a little interesting because we're going to talk about these extremes, the word NDAs go way too far, you know, especially in the media. We've heard this quite a bit, I think, especially in the last few years. And we're going to talk about everything how. It was NDAs were being used in the White House to have celebrities use it, uh, and different aspects like that. Right, and like I was saying before, we've seen so many different iterations, and there's there's always going to be some standard terms you'll find in any NDA. But like you said, if there's, we've definitely also seen instances of it going too far, and that's going to be the focus here. Is those experiences that we've had when we've seen language in there that. Uh, makes us kind of think twice, uh, and obviously we have to notify our client at that point that you know I, I think this is a little bit of an overreach. Absolutely. So let's start. What is an NDA? Well, Matt, let's let, let me ask you that question. What's your definition of an NDA? Sure. Let me see how I would answer that. Well, you, I mean, like you said, it's a non-disclosure agreement. Basically, it's define it. So it's typically two parties can be more. Disclosing information, it could be unilateral or it could be mutual. Basically, you have at least one party, maybe two, disclosing information to the other party, and they're prevented from sharing that information with any third party. That's not part of the agreement. How did I do? Uh, I you did great. Uh, that's probably what I would have said. 
And as you were talking, I started to think about different components of what we're going to cover today. But let's let, let's talk about a little bit of when to use an NDA or when this is applicable. And I think the most common thing in business is that the first thing you do when you're about to enter into a potential transaction, you want to disclose certain sensitive, confidential information that is not available in the public in order to have a very candid conversation. And in a lot of ways, it reminds me of the purpose of the attorney-client privilege. In that same way, that should be the purpose of an NDA allow the freedom for party A to disclose to party B certain confidential information so that they can get down to business and, and talk about what the next step is in, in the transaction. To me, that is the essence of and the real purpose of when NDA should be used. Right. I think you put that well. It's uh, the, the majority of the time, it's going to be two parties that probably haven't done business together previously, but want to possibly do business together in the future. And it could be for a specific purpose. It could be more general in nature, but I, that's kind of the essence of it is well, we're going we're gonna to tell things to you, you're going to tell things to us, and this needs to stay only internal because it's confidential and proprietary information. Now, these NDAs, as you mentioned, Matt, literally a, a business owner can depending on the business you're in, can be signing NDAs on a weekly, monthly basis, just in the interactions and different processes. But because of that, they do tend to be not only overused, they tend to also, people tend to sign them without much consideration. And because of that, people can get in trouble because oftentimes NDAs can go too far. In fact, like I try not to sign personally NDAs myself because it's like, it's hard to keep track of all the confidential information I have. It's easier for just me to keep quiet, but at the same time, I don't want to be bound by some agreement and being able to keep track of that as well. Not only that is sometimes these agreements contain provisions that just go way too far, like non-solicitation and non-competes and these kinds of things. And we're actually going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. Yeah. And we'll, we'll see that occasionally. And I don't, I don't know a percent of the time, but but yeah, it's and they can be used strategically in that sense too. It's I've definitely had discussions with clients and what's the actual motive behind wanting to get this NDA signed? Because you do have to think about it. Because right. if there is non solicitation or a non compete in there, the other side could use that to their favor, and maybe that was their objective from the beginning. You mentioned a lot of you know sometimes a lot of times people just sign them and. Uh, don't really review it. It could be pretty critical to make sure the terms in there are not going to be anything that stretches too far, because it's going to it could last for for years, and it could be a it could be something that is anti-competitive down the road. Correct. And and but these days NDAs have pretty much I mean pretty much everybody knows what they are even in pop culture, right? Because uh, you'll read that celebrities actually, and this is. Again, too far extreme. I don't know. Celebrities will actually require the people around them, the people that they date, even one night stands, that they literally have them sign an NDA prior to any kind of engagement. Because, as you all know, just the disclosure of certain personal whereabouts or comings and goings could be worth money to tabloids and so forth. And and so celebrities want to protect themselves. 
Yeah, so you know, particular celebrities, anyone in entertainment, you know, their their most valuable thing is their brand and their image. So while on one hand it does seem a little bit ridiculous to to have you know these other these people sign NDAs in the circumstances you brought up, you can see why they they would want to do it as well because you mentioned it's it, it, someone could just leak this to any sort of tabloid and. Have, they pay a lot of money for that stuff, and you know there could be some value there. So it's not just always in the business sense. I mean, I think the focus here is going to in this episode is going to be in the business context, but it is everyday people's. Well, I should say everyday. It is non-business entities as well. Okay, so so that's the uses of an NDA, uh, let's start breaking down some of the components and find the extremes and where people tend to go too far and, and what to look for when you're actually getting an NDA. I think you, you mentioned at the top of the show, Matt, that either it's a two parties that usually it's two parties, one party is disclosing to the other, or the two parties could be disclosing to each other. But how do you define who those people are? Because oftentimes it's not necessarily two individuals. Sometimes it's two organizations, and but okay, organizations is one thing, but there's still people behind those organizations, and to what extent, who who exactly is bound by this confidentiality agreement? Yeah, and it, it can stretch pretty far. Like you said, if in the business context, it's usually two entities, but it can also include um, their affiliates, subsidiaries, etc. And when that's the case, it, I mean, because <laughs> it just Keeps getting the keeps getting spread wider and wider, and that could be a huge issue down the road if there's some sort of affiliated company, and you know they find out this information, disclose it for some other purpose, and it wasn't even the intent of the original NDA of the original contracting party. You know that's that's going to be a violation, or it's going to be a breach of the NDA. So you really have to be right. careful. I mean, it's it's going to be typically in the first paragraph of the NDA who's going to be included. So you know that's that's the first place to start is who are the actual parties in the NDA, right? And and when it's an NDA where you expect confidential information to be continuously uh, divulged back and forth, like in some kind of ongoing business relationship, you can expect that not only you but the employees and even maybe your contractors could be bound by this NDA. And you, in other words, you may even have obligations to bind your contractors to sign a separate NDA to keep certain things confidential based upon the NDA that you sign with that third party. And so you mentioned the parties, but then there's also a, typically another section that like that's often overlooked is the uh, representatives or authorized representatives section where it defines like, okay, you can tell certain people like your lawyers or financial representatives about this confidential information, but then you can't tell other people. Or sometimes it'll say, basically, only people that are in the need to know, so to speak, almost kind of a government secret uh, kind of context like that. Yeah, that's. I, I think that's the most common instance. It'll be, sometimes it defines who the representatives are, but yeah, it's pe only people with a need to know, and typically there's some sort of requirement that they're bound by terms, uh, you know, justice, non-disclosure terms, just as strict as the ones contained in this, in NDA. And you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with that in general, right. but you know, it's, again, it's something that you need to look out for because 
you can't sometimes you have to be pretty careful on who you divulge this information to internally because oftentimes you're you're going to be on the hook if you know that they go rogue and disclose to a third party and then right. if a funnel is all the way back up and <laughs> then you're in trouble at that point and when especially i think another way it goes, goes too far is where if it's a large organization and the party is either defined this way or the authorized representative is defined this way where your the entity and its affiliated entities or subsidiaries or parents is also included in this and sometimes that may be appropriate but sometimes where you have a very limited kind of transaction going on confidential information is is transmitted you don't want all of a sudden a sister company or whatever being bound by this nda that they may not, may not even be in, been exposed to that confidential information and have be completely separate divisions or companies of the enterprise. And so sometimes you may need to narrow that down a little bit to, to the extent that confidential information has been disclosed to those entities, or if it's the other way around where it may be the confidential information of those affiliated entities that are being uh, shared with the other party. All right, so let's get to the meat of an NDA. The what I call the meat of the NDA is the scope of how you define confidential information. I feel like this is something that is at, at times when we're reviewing, it's become kind of boilerplate, but it also goes to the critical question as to okay, what exactly are you being are, is being discussed here. And it's funny because when when clients come to us and say, "Hey, I have this NDA to review," or "Can we get an NDA?" One of our first questions is, "Okay, what type of confidential information is actually going to be discussed?" And you'd be surprised at how often the answer is not really clear to them to the extent that, "Well, I'm I'm not sure we're going to give any confidential information." Or sometimes it's very specific. It's like, "Yeah, they're going to give us their performa, their financial data, etc." And this may be something you know. If, if it's very kind of clearly defined, then maybe we narrow that exception down so that the uh, you know the the NDA is used appropriately. Yeah, it, it all depends on the scenario too, you know, because if it could be defi- defined very broadly as essentially everything under the sun, you know, if, if you're not like you said, you have to ask the client what what they're going to be disclosing or what they expect to be disclosing, and then vice versa, what they're expecting to have disclosed to them. Right. And and if and if I'm on the receiving end of confidential information and I'm a party to an NDA, I like, you know, you want to narrow down the definition. You want clarity. So I, I like when it requires you like, okay, confidential information only includes things that are disclosed in writing, marked confidential. And yeah, the things that are discussed orally that relate to that or verbally that's relate to that written document. That's considered confidential information. I don't like when it's just like everything under the sun that it'd be hard to construe anything that's not confidential information. And the problem with that is again, like you don't want to inadvertently disclose something that is confidential information. Being and if, and if you're if you're a busy business person or, or what have you, keeping that track of what's confidential or not confidential and having to just keep your mouth shut is not a very you know, appetizing way to live if that if, if that's what ends up happening. Right. Look, I'm I'm kind of critical with NDAs in general because it's like 
is it really confidential? Because because people come in with this information that pretty much everyone else knows if you know the right people or whatever. It's it's like people are so guarded. They just they want this document as some kind of blanket to make them feel comfortable when in reality it, it it's not. And and the problem is is the opposite can be true too. It could be a kind of a uh, a, a pretext to litigation to cause disputes to the extent that okay I don't have anything else to bring on uh, claims against this other party let me just reference this NDA to kind of you know get some leverage over them and I've seen that happen more often than not as well and and we've seen that in in in, in litigation in, in the public sphere as well you brought up a good point the I mean I think a lot of times people do err on the side of believing everything's confidential when that's right. not the case. That's become standard. Yeah, it's some, sometimes people are very guarded with what they want to disclose because they feel like everything's proprietary. And the reality is just that's not that's not how it works. I mean, obviously, it's fact-specific, but I think sometimes we'll see clients that are, even, even after they've signed an NDA, are reluctant to disclose certain information because they feel like it's so so confidential and proprietary to them that it can't possibly ever get out, even though they had this NDA signed. Right. Well, let's talk about the exceptions, because I think, you know, if you're, if you're going to talk about the scope and the rule, you, you have to combine that with the exceptions, because obviously you can have a broad definition and then have it narrowed by the exceptions. And, and there's about, I would say, four standard ones. And really, every NDA should have these four, if not more. And, and there's different ways to, to phrase them, but at the least, they should have these four, which is number one, if it's already known by the recipient, right? If it's information already known by the recipient of that confidential information, that should not be included in the definition of confidential information. That seems, I guess that seems obvious, but it may not be yeah. uh, to the extent <laughs> that you need to make it clear in the NDA. Right. And first of all, I think there's actually, to me, there's five, and I'll, I'll give you the fifth one after we go through the four that you came up with. Okay. But inf information, one of the next ones would be information that becomes public, or I guess non-confidential in nature, the, the key with this being through no fault of the receiving party's right. disclosure or breach of the agreement. Uh, it's kind of, it's similar to the first one you brought up. You know, if it's already, if it's already known, it's probably typically fairly public at that point, but it, there is a distinction between that. It, it, you know, it could be something that gets, usually it's going to be something that gets disclosed down the line after it's disclosed to the receiving party. Right. And that, that makes sense. I mean, if it's, if it's public, then how can that be confidential information at that point? That seems pretty obvious um, as well. The, uh, the good example here would be trade secrets. I mean, the yes. trade secret, the, the big thing of trade secrets is they have to be there has to be the effort to keep that information a secret. So if you're out there publishing the recipe for Coca-Cola, then that no longer becomes a trade secret anymore. Classic trade secret example. And so then oh, and then the next one is independently developed. So for example, a particular trade secret or confidential information could be the list of all the competitors in in a certain region, right? So that list it may take a lot of effort and you know intellectual property to develop that list, but if the person it's being disclosed to has already independently developed that or could and does independently develop that using their own research, 
then again, that could be that can fall outside the definition of confidential information. And again, it's um, the caveat here being it's independently developed without use of the disclosing party's right. confidential yeah. information. Correct. And then the last one, or at least my last one, basically disclosed by another party, right? Where it, that's it's there's a small distinction between it being public because obviously it may not be public information. But if I receive this information from another party that's not bound by a confidentiality agreement, and I was told by that, then now all of a sudden it's not in the confidential information sphere. And this is one of those where it may or may not be included, and sometimes uh, there's pushback on on, on that uh, particular uh, yeah. provision. All right. Okay, so what are your fifth and possibly sixth exception? Well, the the fifth one... I would describe it as legally compelled to disclose it. So okay, yeah, you know, and I I know where you're going. Go ahead. <laughs> subpoena, basically, if if you're required to disclose the information by some sort of court order, right? But you, usually, if this, you'll see language in there that you know, only disclosing what's absolutely necessary to comply with the court order, and then usually there's also something in there too about notifying the other party prior to disclosing because they want to have the opportunity to possibly uh, Fight block that it. Subpoena. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that's fifth. Six is kind okay. of a cheap I one. agree with you. <laughs> so yeah, mutually agreed upon between the parties. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> also, okay. Well, that's also implied. You don't need to put that in there, but that's, but you're right. That's often put in, put in there. Yeah. Because obviously the parties agree to, be able to disclose it, then that, that is a case. But right. then, then in order to avoid this, you having to amend the agreement, for example, you can put that in there. You don't see that language in there too often, but sometimes the mutually yeah. agreed the, the legal requirements usually in there. Sometimes, I mean, oftentimes it's even in its own section in the NDA, separate from the other exclusions. Right, and uh, I'm sure you can, you know. I think to go too far with this is to not include those exceptions, right? That's really the essence of, of the scope and, and and whether it's too broad or too narrow. If you have a broad confidential information definition and you're missing these exceptions, that's an issue because you're just asking for trouble. And frankly, you're also concerned about enforceability as well because if it's too broad, then you and you're on the disclosing side, it may be so ambiguous and to the extent that it becomes meaningless and too vague, so therefore unenforceable. Mm-hmm. No, I agree. So it should be some variation of uh, these exceptions. All right, so the next component of an NDA is the term. How long do you have to keep the confidential information confidential? And I think um, I think you see a pretty wide range on this, right, Matt? Uh, I, I yeah. like, yeah. I mean, I, I think certain clients like certain number of years and so forth. It seems to be the sweet spot tends to be between two to five years, sub, you know, two to three maybe, and, yeah. and oftentimes five years. So it's, it's, this is a little bit, this one's a little bit tricky, I think, because you you can technically have and you'll see this you'll have two different terms defined in the actual NDA the first one will be what's the actual term 
of the NDA, meaning like what's the covered period of when information is going to be disclosed? Right. Good point. Yep. And and then you can have a separate term, or it should be a separate term of how long they're required to keep the information confidential. And the, the tricky thing is you don't always see that second part in NDAs. Right. Sometimes we'll get one from a client and they'll say, oh, it says two years. It's like, yeah, this is, this is only the duration of the actual NDA, though. That doesn't mean there's a two-year obligation to keep the information. Like, we need to define what that non-disclosure period is. And like you said, I, I think two to five is, I think where that's where the majority of them fall within that range. I, I think that's a, I think that's what Matt's saying is a very important thing. Now, when we say two to five years, I think what we're referring to, and correct me if I'm wrong, Matt, is we're talking about that's the period of time from the time the confidential information is disclosed yes. that you have to keep it secret. Right. And and oftentimes, like if you don't have that that provision, then it could be construed as it being indefinite. So that means as soon as you're you're told that secret, you can you're gonna have to, you know, literally take it to the grave with you. Yeah. And that can I think that can be problematic, right? It's like and it's just a, and it's one of those things where this is the kind of a, the running theme of this episode. It's like if you're disclosed confidential information, you don't want to inadvertently trip or breach this agreement. And when we're talking about two to five and five plus years or even ten years more, it's like how uh, how can you keep track as to what's confidential, right? Uh, it, it becomes right. very difficult. Right. And I think the concept is is that after that period of time, by that time, it's information be, starts to become less valuable. But like, for example, and I think Matt mentioned earlier, the uh, classic trade secret example of the Coca-Cola formula, I think we would all understand how that would not have a time limit because the right. criticalness of keeping that secret indefinitely is so high that the recipient would have an understanding as to why that would not have any kind of a uh, indefinite term, or that it would have an indefinite term. It, it, you'll you'll see that in NDA sometimes too. There will be a separate section that set, that deals specifically with trade secrets. That mm-hmm. you know any anything that could be deemed a trade secret has essentially infinite duration on when that information can be disclosed. So. The next aspect of this NDA is what happens if it's breached, kind of the enforcement level. And I think this is where things kind of get interesting and can go to an extreme. So pretty much every NDA has a provision that talks about the ability for the party that disclosed the information and then the other party breached, for them to go into court and seek a preliminary injunction, an injunction from the court. Now, that makes it just easier for, by having that provision in there, it's not necessary, uh, necessarily necessary, but it's often good practice to put that in because you'll, you want to be able to tell the court, whatever this person's doing, as far as disclosing information, have that person at least stop, stop the bleed until we can pursue a further case against for damages against that person. And so that's one aspect, but Matt, let's talk about kind of this concept of penalties or liquidated damages. So how liquidated damages work is the parties can agree that it's hard, it's difficult to place a value on having this, inf- what this information is worth and 
the damages at, if it were disclosed, it would be you know, th this damaging. So the parties can agree beforehand to a set amount, which basically states that you know it's it's difficult to us for us to place a value on this. So if there is a breach of this NDA, it would be worth X amount. And I think you had your. I know you're a big Kardashian fan, so I know you had yes, a, a good example you, know. you wanted to bring up. <laughs> yeah, I, I think I had that reputation. Um, being sarcastic, <laughs> just in case anyone's listening. So yeah, I, I I thought this was interesting to kind of bring up because it was a penalty that they the Kardashian family apparently has in their NDAs. They have a liquidated damages clause of some sort. Purport, reportedly, this is what it says. I haven't actually seen it, but reportedly, it has a ten million dollar liquidated damages clause. That if you violate this, we're gonna you have to pay ten million dollars. And I've we've seen this in, in other cases too. And even in the Stormy Daniels case with uh, President Trump, I, I recall that she also had a liquidated damages clause in in her NDA, which she admittedly violated, but you know had certain exceptions uh, to it. But anyway, so back to this particular pop culture reference. Apparently, there's someone named Jordan Woods who was the ex best friend of Kylie Jenner. But uh, apparently, she told all in this uh, in this uh, red table talk with uh, Jada Pinkett Smith on some show of hers. And so, just by the act of whatever she told, she may have violated that NDA, and in theory, could cost her ten million dollars. Now, the thing is, is like you could put any number on there, um, but doesn't mean that it's going to be enforceable. Doesn't mean that a court is going to agree with you. A liquidated damages clause does have certain requirements. It has to have some connection with reasonableness or, or reality. I mean, in the sense, like, why not put one trillion dollars, right? Uh, if 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 you can just put put a number there, ten million. I don't know. That seems a little high, depending upon what was said. But I'm not the judge in that case. Yeah. So it does seem pretty high, but I, I also don't know what was disclosed. You know, given that they're a celebrity. And that reputation, bad reputation, could hurt their sales of products that they endorse right. and sell, et cetera. Right. They can definitely prove up <laughs> quite a bit of damages in that sense. But it seems almost kind of unfair, um, a little bit, if someone were to inadvertently trip an NDA. Of course, the opposite is not true. If they are malicious with the information that they disclose, then I could understand. Again, you know, it's like. That's the reason why celebrities have these NDAs to protect themselves. I'm just, yeah, I'm just thinking from a practical standpoint. It has to be difficult to be somebody's, I guess, best friend, previous best friend. So anything they ever tell you is you can't. You, I mean, you can never right. speak to that. I mean, it just seems like it's very difficult to accomplish that. I mean, yeah. from the who uh, from this. Jordan Woods individual. It's it's like well, anything that's said over to you, uh, said to you over this period of years, you could never say anything. Like I feel like you'd accidentally say something at some point, just offhanded, you know. So yeah, and that's a tough but, one. You know, I but to backtrack a little bit, I mean, think about it. It's like you know, think of your friends. There are certain things that are secrets that our friends tell us. I'm not sure if I would inadvertently disclose that. And so again, it, it it comes to the definition of confidential information. And so if if right. uh, what's her name again? Uh, yeah, if Kylie Jenner told 
Jordan Woods uh, a secret. That was clearly a secret, and she disclosed that secret. I can understand that. That's that that makes sense. I mean, that would be sure. ex friend yeah. or not, that's a breach right. of trust. That I think you know within the normalities of <laughs> our our the social life that we would kind of fall under. But if it's things that are not kind of innocuous or clearly just not you know some kind of just oh you know I used to hang out with Kylie and she used to do this she used to act this way and so forth like you would with any other ex best friend so so called I'm not sure that's that should be protected right I mean it just seems a right. little extreme that, too far that's what I was getting at yeah yeah, that, yeah that's what I was getting at but all right, we don't know the specifics. But usually friends, they'll say, look, I'll tell you something in confidence. I feel like that's usually the how people preface before they say right. something that they don't. And so we would write the NDA, provided that you preface the conversation with, I'm telling you this in confidence, or this is confidential, then that's the definition of confidential information. That would be good. I think so. All right, this next section, Matt, I feel like I'm very passionate about because I have, this goes to one of my kind of rules. You know, I have a lot of rules with uh, dealing with clients and it has to do with non-solicitation and non-compete clauses within NDAs. And Matt knows this very well, but I, we train our entire law firm that when you're reviewing an NDA, that if you receive an NDA and it has a non-solicitation or non-compete clause in there, you automatically remove it and don't let our clients sign it unless we are able to have a, unless the other party pushes back and are able to justify the purpose and reasoning for that. In general, in my opinion, non-solicitation, non-competes within an NDA context is almost always unnecessary. And in fact, it's, I've seen so many times where they're put in these templates that people sign and they have no idea of what they sign until years later. For the same reason we talked about in the beginning of the show, it's like people just tend to sign these NDAs. That's something that I think, again, I feel passionate about. Yeah, I, I mean, particularly if non-compete, but with, with non-solicitation as well. You know, and again, it depends on what the discussion is between the parties. So I guess there could be instances, but yeah, it's these are these restrictive covenants should not be in NDAs. I mean, it's something you can put in place later on if you actually get right. to a definitive agreement, and that's fine. But yeah, for for initial, going back to what we said at the beginning, is is for initial discussions. It's kind of testing the waters. So why why can you why should you not be able to solicit the employees or compete with the other company? solely because you're just having initial discussions. Right. And it's like, why is that information that you're going to disclose so so valuable that once that information is disclosed, that that other party now is restricted somehow from what they do in the future? And there are exceptions to that and things that make sense. So for example, one place it may make sense is that if I'm disclosing you a party a person that's interested in buying your business. And after I disclose that, the cat's out of the bag. I mean, it, it, that information is disclosed. I don't want you to circumvent me from going to that, that party to then 
take me out of the deal to get your business sold. That and that kind of broker relationship, business broker kind of relationship, that makes sense. But sometimes it's like it's just thrown in there and and I could be just talking about anything. Like here's here's my idea about my next venture. And then all of a sudden I have a non-compete that I can't go in that space. If I receive that information, I cannot compete against you in whatever you seem to be doing. That doesn't make sense and is way too extreme. No. And 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 you'll find that those that have these kind of provisions within their template, either one of two things is occurring. Number one, either it's just out of ignorance, they maybe they grab the template online, which is one of our blunders that we've talked about in the last uh, last couple episodes, or they're doing it intentionally. And that's even worse because then all of a sudden they're, then it, to me it's in bad faith and they want you to just sign the NDA and then have this restrictive covenant that maybe you'll end up regretting. Yeah, I, I agree with that completely. It's, there's few and far between examples where I guess it would make sense, but for the most part, it's just, there's no need to have that language in there. And like you said, if you don't read it, then it becomes a big problem because you think you'd be fine if you're, as long as you're not disclosing the information you receive, but if you're actually doing these other things that are restrictive covenants that you agreed to, then there's other, just another way to breach the, the NDA. Right. And so, you know, just to kind of, uh, close things out a little bit. One thing that I think, uh, you know, we talked about in our Blenders episode of using templates and how sometimes using templates that you grab online may not be, you know, <laughs> the best idea. But in the NDA context, because there's so many sometimes that are going on, using templates in this context is, a, is actually, to me, it's a good thing because, you know, for example, we just talked about non-solicitations and non-competes. If you receive a NDA, and you just search non-compete or solicitation and so forth, and it's on there. It's like instead of doing this pushback or whatever, and maybe causing more, taking more time to revise an NDA, if you have a template that you know what's in there and you're comfortable in signing, just you can push that back to them and say, this is what we're willing to accept. And you can have different versions. You can have an NDA where you're accepting information. You can have an NDA where you're disclosing information, and you can have an NDA where you're mutually changing, uh, exchanging information. That's that's three templates, right? That's all you need. And with that, you can actually do business in a way that is not too disruptive. You're going to have to send it to your attorney, and that takes time and so forth. And that's often what we do. It's like, hey, we could review and redline this NDA, or you you could just use the template because that's ready to go, and and, and it'll actually be uh, faster for you. And sometimes, you know, there's competing. <laughs> Every party wants to use their own own template, of course. I think that's more so. The attorneys don't want to have to review something else, but that's, yeah, that's also. But the true. Uh, to to me, it depends. I think the the biggest thing when I need to look at an NDA is whether if it's mutual. A lot of times, it's going to be relatively fine. I say that right. it's not. Don't take that as as legal advice, but think of it from the perspective of. Obviously, the other party wants to protect their information just as much as you want to protect yours. So if it's mutual, it's usually going to be pretty neutral in terms of the ter uh, in terms of what's actually the requirements are. Now, I say that, but I've also seen NDAs. I'm sure you had too, where yeah. they'll define they'll def they'll define confidential information, 
And then there'll be supplemental terms for the other party specifically, which to me is a goal. Yeah, that's not parallel. (laughs) Yeah, it's anymore. So, you know, it's kind of a a fake mutual NDA. So, right. I I think. And there's also an issue, too, like where where maybe they'll want you to sign a mutual NDA, but the reality is, is that one party, like the parties aren't exchanging information, the confidential information is just going one way. And so, like, even though it's, it's a mutual NDA, Maybe it may not necessarily be in the best interest of both parties to sign that because it, it still may be more, you know, leaning towards one way or the another. Yeah, you'll 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 definitely see that as well. So it's it, again, it's very fact specific, case by case situation. But you know, the I think to to summarize the questions are the first question: if you get an NDA, the first questions you should ask yourself are: Are you just you know? Are you going to be disclosing information? And if so, what information are you going to be disclosing? And then, again, what the third thing I would think of is, what information are you expecting to receive as the receiving party? Because that's going right. to, I think those kind of three main questions dictate how you view an NDA and, and what, you know, what you need to push back on, if anything. Right. And I, I feel like I should have mentioned this earlier, but... I'm trying to figure out what topic it would fit in, and and but another, and maybe in the in the beginning, the the purpose of the NDA, of course, is to protect your confidential information. But everyone should be aware that there is a practical defect in this NDA thing, because the NDA is a written document that's supposed to protect you, but if someone breaches that promise it's sometimes impossible to prove that that actually occurred. And so just like all business, it still comes down to who are you dealing with? Who do you trust? And what information are you actually disclosing to the extent, is it necessary to disclose that information? But I've heard different stories. There's a story that I, I read by a reporter. They, It was a very secret meeting of a bunch of owners of a, in a certain trade industry, that they were all they would all meet annually, and they would have these very strong NDAs that they would sign, and once signed, they would disclose their their financials with each other, things that wouldn't necessarily be disclosed otherwise to your competitors, and there's that somehow they were able to create this level of trust between them, and they did that because then they can be candid with each other on how they can help each other out, like, you know, kind of like, hey, I'm dealing with this issue and this issue and kind of this very strange kind of cooperative discussion uh, within their industry. And I thought that was interesting because like normally, you know, it seems contrary to what we understand to be U.S. competition. But this is this is what was reported. But that, what protected them was in that NDA. It was that trust, that kind of, that culture environment that that, that provided. So. I thought that was interesting. Yeah, no, it's, uh, it's uh, you know not to harp on what I was saying before, but it's all fact specific, and that's that's the starting point. Well, I think that's our episode. Don't forget to listen to us on the various channels um, where you can find us. Our podcast, whether it's Spotify or iTunes, and then of course we're also active on social media: Instagram, Facebook. Please follow us. We post a lot of interesting content, especially the things that are in between our episodes. 
uh, to kind of, if you want to keep up to date some, some, with some Kardashian news, that's where you're going to find it, yeah, the, the, the latest of it all. So I think that's it. Well, thanks for joining us. Keep it sound and keep it smart. You just listened to Legally Sound Smart Business with Asar Pasha and Matt Staub. For more information about the podcast, visit LegallySoundSmartBusiness.com. This podcast is intended but not promised or guaranteed to be current, complete, or up-to-date and should in no way be taken as an indication of future results. No attorney-client relationship is created by listening to or engaging with the podcast. The podcast does not constitute legal advice, but rather is produced for entertainment and educational purposes only. Do not rely on the information on this podcast without first seeking the advice of an attorney. The opinions expressed in the podcast reflect the views of those individuals and does not necessarily represent the views of any other individual or business. This podcast may contain portrayals of clients by non-clients, reenactment of scenes, and persons which are not actual or authentic, and depictions which are a dramatization.